a blessing to each and every one of us. I've really been enjoying going through the book of Romans, and today I want to speak to you about Romans chapter 8. And the title of my message is God's Purpose for You in Christ Jesus. God has an eternal purpose for every believer in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that today. In a number of my studies that I've done this week, I came across this phrase that I thought was worthy of note. Um, Gable Line in his commentary says about Romans chapter 8 that it is the mountaintop of divine truth. It is the pinnacle of God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus for every believer. And so if you're a believer today, I, I hope that you will take away some solid teaching that will encourage you to live your life with power and victory in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. And you've never come to a realization of personal faith in Jesus Christ. Then I hope today you'll take the word of God for yourself and believe on him to the saving of your soul and it will change not only this life for you, but your eternal destiny in days to come. And so I just want to open maybe with a word of prayer before we read in Romans chapter 8. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we are so grateful, Lord, that you have delivered us from condemnation. You have brought us into the family of God, and because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that at the cross, he paid the eternal penalty of our sin, and it was once for all. And Lord, I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, the life of God within ourselves, that we can enjoy this life of victory, living a powerful life and in fellowship with you. And I just pray that you would encourage each one of us today as we open the scriptures and teach us from your word, and bless us, we pray, and we commit all of this to you, and ask you, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in what is taught from this pulpit today. We pray in Jesus' worthy and precious name, amen. I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start by reading uh, the first 11 verses, and then we're going to drop down to the latter section of the chapter. So if you have a Bible, it's really good for you to read and, and follow along. If not, I do have it up here on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV, and it's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I want to drop down to verse 24, and we're going to read the latter section of this chapter. It says, For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, our infirmity. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely or graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
He was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am sure, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. That is a powerful chapter. The pinnacle, the mountaintop of divine truth for every believer in Jesus Christ. I've got some exciting and encouraging truth to share with you today about this chapter. God has a purpose for each individual soul here that is trusted in Jesus Christ. And so the critical question is, are you born of God? Are you saved by the grace of God and are you sure? Because if you are, then... You have the Spirit of God. He lives within you. And because of that, you have been set free. I know that last time that I spoke, we, we talked a lot about the struggle of sin in our lives. And it is true that many believers struggle with sin. But God has given you the power the victory, the resources, they are here and they are available. And if you have been born of God, you have the spirit of God within you and you have been set free. Not only that, if you have been born of God, you are a child of God. You are adopted into the family of God. Adoption to sonship. We're going to read about that in this chapter. Here's an amazing truth of worship, and I can't claim to understand this, but this is what the scripture says. You have been predestined to bear the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Before you were ever born, before the world was created, God has marked you out, chosen you, in Christ Jesus, for incredible eternal blessings. That is an amazing thought that is hard to comprehend. Not only that, if you are born of God, you are secure. You are in Christ, and nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. I reckon that the present sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the eternal glory that is coming. 
You are not only a child of God, predestined, adopted to sonship, set free from your sin. You are secure. And you are in Christ. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And because of all that, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you today with this amazing truth that if you are in Christ, your future is so bright and it is all absolutely guaranteed. I want to start with verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the original text, it ends there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. No exception. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ. What is condemnation? Let's define this word. And so I looked into it a little bit. In the Bible, condemnation is a term of judgment. And it is judgment from God. And it comes because of a verdict of being guilty before God. It is a sentence that is passed upon all humanity. In chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Let every mouth be stopped, and all the world be found guilty before God. And yet, this scripture says, to those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Well, how does that work? Let me explain the teaching of this passage. Now, if you struggle with sin in your life, pay close attention to this. I believe that this passage is teaching that no sin a believer can commit can ever be held against him. Not past, not present, and not future sin. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. No sin a believer can commit can be held against him because the penalty was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And further, he has given you his righteousness. It has been imputed to every believer in Jesus Christ. And nothing can reverse this divine legal decision. How do we know that? What does he say in verse 20, 34 of this chapter? He says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God that justifies? Christ, who died for our sin, was buried and is resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God? And John says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is 
the propitiation, the satisfaction to God for our sin. Believer, let me encourage you today, if you struggle with sin, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ. This is the pinnacle of divine truth for a believer. Amen. Why was there condemnation? Because we were born in sin. And because every single one of us were separated from God. Because of our sinful nature. And as a result of our sinful nature, we consequently committed sins. Because it was in our nature. And God is holy. And he cannot have fellowship with darkness or sin. And so there was a separation. But if we read this passage, it says, You have been set free by the spirit of life. You've been set free. For God has done what you could never do. The law that stood against you, that condemned you, you couldn't take that off your own head. There was nothing you could do. But God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, which simply means he was made like us, yet without sin. He came to condemn sin in the flesh. And he died as the substitute for sinners. And on the cross, Peter says, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. This is, this is amazing truth to understand this, that as a believer, there is no condemnation because Christ Jesus has paid in full the penalty of my sin. In full. You know, there is a hymn that we used to sing, and I, I love it. I, I haven't sung it in a very long time. But it, it just tells me a little bit about this truth, and I'm going to recite it for you if I can remember it. It goes like this. Christ's grave is vacant now. He has ascended to the Father's throne. And the hymn writer said, Reach my blessed Savior's hand first. Prove that he bears one spot of sin. Then tell me I'm unclean. In, in other words, because Jesus bore in full the penalty of our sin, he has given us his righteousness, and Jesus has no sin, and I have no sin because I am in Christ. And I am united with him. And his righteousness has been given to me as a free gift. That is why there is now no condemnation to every believer who is in Christ Jesus. So where are you? Are you in Christ? Are you sure? How do you know? I want to quote to you the very simple but deeply profound words that Jesus quoted to Nicodemus. And it applies to everyone here today. 
It's found in John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believes on the Son is not condemned. But he that does not believe on the Son of God is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you believe on the Son of God? Then you are not condemned. But if you are sitting here today and you have never honestly, deeply, and sincerely from your heart believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you sit here before God condemned already. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's two people in those verses. There are those who believe on the Son of God and they are no longer condemned. And there are those who do not believe on the Son of God, and they are condemned already, and the wrath of God is over their head. So everybody here in this gathering is either a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, and no longer condemned, or you are an unbeliever and you've never placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ and you stand here today condemned in the presence of God. I love this passage because it's so clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you what God has done in your life. This is the work of God in every believer's life. You have the Spirit of God. You have been set free from your sin, from the penalty of your sin, from the power of sin. You have a divine person living in you. By the way, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's not an influence. He is a divine person, one of the Godhead. We read that himself referring to a person if you believed on the lord jesus christ you are a child of god i remember the day that i that i personally trusted jesus christ as my savior and it was through john 1 and 12 and in john 1 and 12 it says he was in the world the world was made by him the world knew him not he came unto his own his own received him not but to every person who received him To those, he gave the power to become the children of God. And what I struggled with was, how do I believe enough? Where does this power come from? And the person I was with pointed this out to me. The power comes from God. It's not your power. If you believe on the Son of God, he gives you the power to become the children of God which were born, not of flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but of God. This is an amazing truth that actually happens when you honestly and truly believe in Jesus Christ. You become a child of God. You're adopted 
into the family of God and you become an heir of God. Amazing, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been predestined. Unbeknownst to you, God knew you long before you knew God. He loved you ere you knew him. He chose you. He worked through the the challenging circumstances of your life for you to hear the gospel, for you to be convicted of your sin. He brought you down in repentance until finally you surrendered your life to him. And he saved you by his grace. And then he told you, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were marked out. You were predestined to be like Jesus. Don't miss this. This is the reason that every one of us that are saved by the grace of God are saved. For the glory of God. So that you might be conformed to the image of his son. That is the whole purpose that God has for you. To be like Jesus. That brings glory to God. And you are secure. You are so secure that nothing can separate you. And there is no condemnation. I discovered this in my study of the book of Romans. And I want to share this because I think it's powerful. I really enjoyed this. I want to zoom out now from chapter 8. And I want to look at the book of Romans on a whole. And the reason that this caught my attention is because the first verse in chapter 8 is a powerful statement, one of the pillars of divine truth. I believe that there are five pillars of divine truth in the book of Romans. Five pillars, and you can read them. In Romans chapter 2, every one of these pillars begins with therefore. And and therefore is a summary statement. It's actually a line of conclusion because of everything that was taught before. So when you read through the, the Gospels, you don't see this as much, but when you read through the epistles, it's teaching truth, you see this word, therefore. And every time you see a therefore, you should ask, what is it therefore? And you look back and you get a summary of divine truth. There are five of them in the book of Romans. Summary number one. Romans chapter two and verse one. Therefore, O man, you have no excuse. What does that mean? Well, in chapter one, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And he goes through this horrible list of sins. And then you have the Jew. And he says, that disgusting Gentile, he's so corrupt, he's such a sinner, we, are, we have the oracles of God. And you get into chapter two, and he says, who are you to condemn someone else? Whether you are righteous, whether you are heathen, whether you are religious or irreligious, knowledgeable or having no knowledge at all. Therefore, you are without excuse. This is a summary statement of the total depravity of all mankind. You are guilty and you are without excuse. 
That's a huge pillar that a lot of people don't get over. Because when you're on the street and you ask people if they're a good person, 99.9% of people say, oh, I'm a really good person. I'm, I'm better than her. I'm better than him. I've, I've, I've never killed anyone. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. God says, all have sinned, none righteous, no, not one, and we are all guilty, and we have no excuse. That's a really bitter pill to swallow, but it is absolutely true. Therefore, O oh man, you are without excuse. How about chapter 3, verse 20? Therefore, in the King James Version, by the works of the law shall no human being be justified. Here is a, a fundamental summary statement as you look back all over chapter 3. He has this whole list of sins and all humanity is before the, the bar of God. And they are judged. And God says they're all guilty. And, and there's nothing that they can do. Therefore, by the works of the law will no human being be justified. In other words, salvation is not by works. No human being will ever be justified by works. That's what the Bible says. Then you get to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How can we be justified? By faith. By believing. Guys, God has a gift for every one of us. It is his righteousness. You can't earn it. It must be received. How do you receive it? By believing it in your heart. By actually taking what God says for yourself. It is, it is by faith. Nothing but faith. You get to Romans chapter 8, and you have this huge pillar of truth. There is therefore, everything that's gone before, notwithstanding all this truth, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Nothing. That is amazing truth. That God has cleared me of all guilt. And I did nothing for it. I couldn't earn it. It's a gift that God gave me when I believe what his word says. And when we get to chapter 12, here is a huge summary statement of all the chapters that lead up to it. Therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, in light of all this grace that God has brought you into. In light of the fact that he's cleansed you of all your sin. He has declared you righteous. He's brought you into the family of God. You have been adopted as a son of God, a child of God. As a result of all of this, what does he expect you to do? Surrender your entire life to him. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beseech you that you offer your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This right here is what God expects. No reservation. So just run through this checklist in your life. No excuse for my sin. Not by any works that I have done could I ever be saved. I'm justified by faith. Nothing but faith will bring me peace with God. And because of that, the cross and what Jesus has done, there's no condemnation. Therefore, I ought to surrender my whole life to God. And I ought to give myself back to him 
as a living sacrifice. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. The teaching of Romans chapter 8. First of all, you have been set free. This is verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So what is this law of the spirit of life? This is the life that God gives you. This is the life that comes from God. It's not temporary life. It's not human life. It is divine life that comes from God. It is what you received in the gospel. It is what the Holy Spirit has brought into your mind and soul of divine truth. It's what Jesus meant when he said, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Jesus said, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He will give him the water of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me will never hunger, but he will be satisfied. This spirit of life is the good news of the gospel by the Holy Spirit giving you divine truth that completely regenerates you and you now have eternal life. And because of that, you've been set free from your sin. The law has no longer any bondage that it holds you under because Christ Jesus has paid the debt. We're not under the law of bondage. We are not under that. We have been set free from bondage. We have liberty. We have hope. We have power. We have security. We've been set free. But then he says in verse 5, he says, those that are Christ set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Can I ask you a very practical question? Where do you set your mind? I mean, not on Sunday, because I think you're probably here focused on the Word of God. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Where do you set your mind? Do you set your mind on this? It's pretty easy to do, isn't it? Social media, CNN, Netflix, I don't know, Instagram. What do you set your mind on? Because if you set your mind on the flesh and the things of the flesh, you are going to pursue sin. Now, as a believer, you can't set your mind on the things of the flesh and expect to have power and victory over sin. You can't do it. Does it mean that you're not saved? No. Does it mean that you lose your salvation? No. And if a believer sins, is there condemnation? No. But if you pursue the things of the flesh, there is consequences for that. You will not have victory over sin. You will not have peace in your heart. You will have a conscience against God because you have sinned against him. And you're pursuing things that are empty, frivolous, and will bring nothing of value in your life. And so the word of God exhorts us as believers to set our mind on the things of the spirit. How do you do that? You have time alone with God. 
You take out the word of God and you say, Lord, teach me today what I need to know. Turn your phone off, turn the world off, take your AirPods out of your ears and you sit down before God and you let the spirit of God and the word of God feed your soul. Are you doing that? You want to have victory over sin? You want to have victory over the lust of the flesh? You want to have victory over anger, temptation, greed, envy, jealousy, idolatry? Christians commit these sins. They do. Because they're setting their minds on the things of the flesh. And we are specifically instructed today from the word of God to set our mind on the things of the spirit. Because if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it will bring death to you. That's what the scripture says. But if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, it will bring life to you. Going down a little bit further, verse 10. You have received the spirit of adoption. Wow. We are adopted into the family of God. No longer a child of Satan. You're a child of God. You are redeemed. Like that prodigal that that comes back from the far country and the father puts a new robe on him. Righteousness. Puts a ring on his hand. Identification. He puts shoes on his feet and he focuses him. Focuses him on the right things. This is what we have been. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are the sons of God. And naturally, inside our heart, we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that is? That is a term of endearment. It is, Daddy, please help me as I wander through this world. I live in a world of darkness, of sin, of of immorality, a, a world that has lost its way before God. But I am a child of God, and I can set my mind, and I can, I can walk through this world in fellowship with God as a child of God. That is, that's how you have victory. You know what else he says? In verse 19, he talks about suffering. And he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming. Okay, so can I give you a little bit of a vision? Catch a vision. You're living in a world that is dominated by sin. People say to us all the time, if if God is God, why is there so many people dying of cancer? Why, do, why is there an earthquake in Turkey and, and hundreds of thousands of people, are, their lives are turned upside down? Why, why is there so much poverty in Africa? Why is there, because we're living in a world of sin and it has groanings. It is waiting for the day of redemption. There is a day coming when God will change the world and his son will appear and he will set up his kingdom and reign on this earth for a thousand years and righteousness will reign. And God is going to 
make all things right. But right now, we are suffering. And for the name of Christ, you will suffer. And there is probably coming a time in our day when it will get worse and worse and worse to be associated with Christ. How many people here are willing, like Tolu said today in Matthew chapter 16, to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus? He that will save his life will lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it unto life eternal. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, are you suffering in body? Maybe you're suffering because of old age. Maybe you're suffering because you got arthritis. Maybe you're suffering because your children have disappointed you. You look back over failures in your life and there's heartaches. There are trials. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Believers, there's a day coming when righteousness will reign. Glory will be revealed. And the God of the age will change everything. And inside of each one of us, there is a groaning, longing for the day of redemption. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And they which are alive and remain will be caught up, and we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, don't get discouraged because you live in a world of suffering and pain. It's because of sin. But you have a bright future, believer. There's a day coming, and God's going to change everything. Absolutely everything. And the suffering of this present time is short And it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's coming. Paul said, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. In verse 32 is the heart of the gospel. If you look at Romans chapter 8 and and you read down how God has brought you into a position of sonship, no condemnation, You have the spirit of life and liberty. You have hope. You have a guaranteed future that's coming that that we don't have to worry about. It is confident expectation. And then he looks back and he says, God is for us. Catch this. God is for us. It's a statement of fact. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely give us all things? All things. You know, I was thinking about that verse this morning. I thought about what it must have meant for Abraham when God said, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, did Abraham not have, Abraham had many other sons, he did. But you take Isaac, the one and only beloved, and go up to a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. What that must have meant for Abraham. 
He had a heavy heart. And God was showing him a picture of what God was going to do when he would give his only son, his well-beloved son. What do you think it meant for David when he had a rebellious son, Absalom, that ran him out of his kingdom and, and was so rebellious and was trying to actually defeat his armies. And, and David was so heartbroken. He thinks back over his own life of brokenness and his own sin. And he says, just please, just deal gently with the young man. Just, just, don't, just make sure he survives. And David is watching. There's a messenger coming. And David, his heart is just throbbing. And the messenger says, would to God that all your enemies were like that young man is. And, and David says, Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would to God I had died for thee. That is the true heart of a father who loves his son. What a, what a small picture of the eternal God of heaven who loved his only well-beloved son. How about the man in John chapter 4 that comes running and says, Master, please come, my son. My, my, my son is about to die. Please, please, I don't want my son to die. There, there are stories all through the Bible of men and their sons. And God, in his grace, many, many, many times brought that son back to those human fathers. But when it came to his own son, he spared him not. Could I take you today to Gethsemane? What must it have been like in heaven when Jesus, the only one who never sinned, who ever pleased God, came with a burden of sin on his heart for all humanity? He could say the words of the psalmist, I'm afflicted and ready to die for my youth up. While I suffer your terrors, I am distracted. And he goes a little bit further into that garden and he prostrates himself down, weeping to God. He says, please, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. I don't want this. And the, the heavens are silent and Jesus rises from prayer. And he goes to the cross. And on his way, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And he says, I want the world to know that I love the Father. And as the Father has given me commandment, even so I do. He lays down his life on the cross. Could I get your attention today? Every single one of us have got sin in our life that was all laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God did not want to punish you in hell for all your sin. He took it and he spared not his own son. He laid it on his son that his son, the only one who never sinned, would bear the wrath of God so that I can be 
brought into the kingdom of God. I am so unworthy. I am so guilty. And yet I am so blessed. Justified freely by his blood through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He spared not his own son. Maybe this means nothing to you today. But I want to tell you very clearly from my heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will bear your own sin on your own head for all eternity. In hell and the lake of fire. And God in his mercy and grace spared not his own son, but delivered him up on the cross for us all, that he freely might give us all the blessings of God. I am absolutely thrilled, and I, I, I just I bow with worship when I look at this verse. Here's what the verse says. He says, Whom he did foreknow. Let God be God. Okay? I don't understand it. But the Bible says that God foreknew each and every person. And the ones that he foreknew, he, he selected, he marked out for blessing. How did you ever hear the gospel? Why were you ever brought up in a home where the Bible was read? Where you were brought into contact with a Bible-believing church that you could hear the gospel, that you could receive it, that you could be saved? It's all known to the, to the eternal sovereign God before the world began. And he brought you into his grace. And he marked you out. And he predestined you. Maybe there's some in your family that have refused to accept the gospel. Maybe there's some in your household and they want nothing to do with Christ. What a marvel that God has chosen you. He predestined you. And then he called you. I don't know how to explain this, but somehow between my heart and God, I heard the voice of God in my soul. And I was broken. I knew I was a sinner. And I came trembling to God saying, God, I don't want to die in my sins. Please save me. And whom he foreknew, he called. And whom he called, he justified. Marvelous truth. God brought me into truth to understand that his son Jesus died for my sins, paid my debt, and has satisfied the righteous claims of God. And as a guilty sinner, I came believing, and I understood, I am justified, set free, declared righteous, legally, judicially, and forever in the sight of God. I will never, ever have to face my sin. And then it says, and those that he justified, he glorified. Wait a minute. How many people here have been glorified yet? I don't see anyone. None of us have been glorified yet. Here's what John says. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. 
We shall see him as he is. And Paul says in Philippians that God has power to take this this corruptible, defiled body and give us a glorious body like unto his son. John Nelson Darby wrote this beautiful hymn. And is it so? I shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which he for us has won? Father of glory, thought beyond all thought, into thy blessed likeness brought. You know what's amazing? You and I, guilty, broken, failing sinners, we've been brought into the grace of God. We've been set free from our sin. There is no condemnation. And God has a future for us in glory, and he has confidently stated it as if it's already happened. It's all in the past tense. He predestined you. You had nothing to do with that. He called you. You had nothing to do with that. He justified you. Okay, you believed you were justified. And he has glorified you. And you are destined for glory as sure as you sit here, right here in this seat right now. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are destined for glory. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not this present time. Not your terrible circumstances. Not the people you live with. Not the employer that you work for. Not all of the terrible, nasty things that have happened in your life. Not the sins that you've committed since you've been a believer. Nothing can reverse that legal decision. Nothing, things present, things to come, heaven, hell, powers, angels, nothing will separate you. You are safe and secure in Jesus Christ, and nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And because of all of that, I am so encouraged to be able to go out of here today having my sins forgiven, a child of God, adopted into sonship, destined for glory, and absolutely 100% guaranteed and sure of it that nothing can change that. So if you're a believer today, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Read the scripture. You know what? I read Romans 8 every day last week. And every day I read it, I got something new from it. Read Romans 8. It is the mountaintop, the pinnacle of divine truth for a believer. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned in that chapter more than any chapter in the New Testament. Amazing truth. I want to end there and and I want to pray that every one of us will have a, a blessed day of encouragement and we walk out of here built up in our holy faith and encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the the divine mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you, Lord, that we are saved and redeemed. And we who believe are destined for eternal glory. And it's already happened as if it has already to be glorified with Christ. And so we are encouraged today. We pray that you would build up your church and bless us and whatever trials or difficulties or discouragements we might have in life. Help us, Lord, to look forward to that blessed day when we will be like Christ. And so we 
Thank you for all your blessings and thank you especially for the Lord Jesus and everything that he has done for us. And we commend us to you for the rest of the day in Jesus' worthy and precious name, amen.